0: I just invite you, if you have your Bibles today, to go ahead and open to Genesis chapter 12. We're gonna be in a new series today called God Calls and People Go. I remember growing up here at this church and being involved in so many activities over the course of the last 30-some years, and especially as a child, going out in like local evangelism or even some of the missions trips that we took at a church, and I'd always be astounded when I'd see somebody who was a little bit older in the faith, just naturally and wonderfully and mercifully share about Jesus with somebody. I remember being being a kid and being a teenager and watching some of you who are still here step out in faith and just tell somebody about the hope and the life and the peace that's found in the name of Jesus. And I remember being young and thinking, wow, they are awesome. They must pray like eight hours a day to be prepared to just share Jesus like that. They are, they are like a paragon of faith. That is, that is just incredible. I remember coming to services, and sometimes we would have these wonderful Sunday night prayer meetings. We used to have these years ago. And, and I'd watch people just operate and pray over people and, and with gifts of, of, of speaking words of knowledge and, and gifts of, of prophecy and, and gifts of encouragement, and, and, and they'd be praying for people. And once again, I would just be astounded at the way that, that, that they just connected with people and did the work of the Lord in such a beautiful fashion. And once again, I thought, wow, they must know God like I don't know God. And, and I even remember being on one of our trips, our, our missions trips with our young adult team down to Topeque, Nayarit, Mexico. And some of you have met the lady that I'm about to speak about. She has gone to the state-run hospital every year, every uh, week for decades to give food to those who are waiting to find out how their loved ones are doing because there are no food facilities there right by the hospital. And as she does, she shares the love of Jesus with people. And I just think, where do people like that come from? Where, where do these people begin? What is the starting place for all of these people And I believe that the starting place for all of these people that come to my mind's eye, and you're probably thinking of some folks right now that you've looked at and you've seen the work that they've done in trust and faith in God and been blown away and gone, wow, how did they ever get to that place? How did they ever accomplish what they're accomplishing? And I think that there is something subtle that is taking place with each one of them, and it's right under the surface of who they are, and it is this. They know that God's in charge. They know that God has a plan and that they are just blessed and honored to be a part of it. That whatever is going on in their life and whatever the sidetracks that they can get on and whatever the scary things that they face, God is still, regardless of what they're facing, working his redemptive plan throughout the course of human history and they are honored to be able to be a part of it. That, that's the simple under, underlying factor for the one who went out on the local missions trip and shared Jesus or the one who prays over somebody and encourages them and, and, and speaks life over them. The one who takes food to the needy for decades is that God's got a plan and they are honored to be a part of it. I love this quote from Isaiah chapter 46, I am God and there is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying my purpose shall stand and I will fulfill my intention. The idea that God has a plan, that he is working, and that we as human beings get to be a part of it J.I. Packer, the author of one of the great Christian classics, I guess you can call it a classic because it's like 40-some years old, it's called Knowing God, has this quote. He says, what God does in time, he planned from eternity. And all that he planned from eternity, he carries out in time. With this simple understanding and this simple trust in God, that God is working a plan and we get to be a part of it, opens the door for us to do things in God, through God, And for God. And as a last point of introduction for this series, I'll mention to you these two things. The story of the scriptures is God using ordinary and unlikely people in order to bring about his plan. But the story of the church, your story, my story, our story, is God using ordinary and unlikely people to continue that same plan. Acts ends with chapter 28, doesn't it? The story of the church and the scriptures. We're just living in Acts chapter 29. I want to take you back today to the place where it all began, the place where God begins to unfold his plan for bringing humanity back to his side, for giving them new life and new hope and a new experience in God. Starts all the way back in Genesis chapter 12. If you know anything about Genesis chapter 1 through 11, it's pretty depressing. Because for 11 chapters, human beings look at God and push him away Human beings look at God and say, God, we don't need you. We're going to do things our own way. And it leaves humanity in a bit of a sad place. And in spite of all this rebellion and all this non caring about God and who he is, God initiates in Genesis chapter 12 an unlikely plan with an unlikely person. And this person trusts in God. He becomes the father of the faith. We're going to talk about him today. And we're going to talk about some other individual characters who fulfill this plan through Scripture. And hopefully they can be an encouragement to us as God calls and people go. Are you in Genesis chapter 12? We're going to be reading in verse 1. Now, I have to do a disclaimer here today. It's up on the screen. Now, the Lord God said to Abram, How many of you know that Abraham eventually becomes, or Abram eventually becomes Abraham? I've done it already. The rest of this sermon, I'm going to say Abraham. Because just saying Abram is far too hard to get my mind wrapped around, all right? So just be prepared for Abraham to be spoken because that's who he eventually ends up being, okay? Everybody cool with that? Don't fire me, here we go. (laughs) Verse one, now the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. I'll make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Let's keep reading and see what happens. So Abraham went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Don't let these place names bother you. We'll we'll, we'll unpack it all. Abraham took his wife Sarai and his brother's son Lot and all the possessions that they'd gathered, the persons whom they'd acquired in Haran, and they set forth to go to the land of Canaan. When they'd come to the land of Canaan, Abraham passed the land to a place at Shechem, to the Oak of Morah, and at that time the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, to your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he moved to the hill country east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent. And with Bethel on the west and I on the east, there he built an altar to the Lord and invoked the name of the Lord. Some of you have and called upon the name of the Lord. Same difference. And Abraham journeyed on by stages towards the Negev. Pretty interesting story just from the outset. Even if you don't consider yourself a Bible scholar, Here's a man who's sitting there at 75 years old who all of a sudden is told, I'd like you to pack up all your possessions and move. And he does it. So just on the face of things, we have an incredible story of faith. As you know, Abraham becomes, if you will, the father of our faith. The one through whom the story of the Israelite people, the story of Jesus all the way down to us today comes. For those of you who grew up in church, you grew up singing a very familiar song. Father Abraham had many sons. Uh, Isn't that horrible patriarchal language? That's enough to just get everybody fired. Many sons had Father Abraham, remember? And I am one of them, and so were you. I'm not gonna do the motions, I'll start sweating. But anyhow, (laughs) it all comes through Abraham here. This is the beginning of the story of God's redemption, buying back, humankind he's sort of the father of the faith we look to abraham to see how we can join god in his work because this story is so absolutely astounding so let's talk about a couple of things that we see in the life of abraham and see if we can then apply those concepts to our lives to get a little closer to becoming the people of faith and trust in god working out his plan that we want to be The first thing I wanna mention to you is Abraham had audacity to believe in God. He had an audacious level of belief. Now we have absolutely no idea how God spoke to him, but it says that God spoke to Abraham. We don't know if it was in that still small voice like we hear from the story of Elijah. We don't know if God spoke to him in a dream like he did to Joseph. We don't know if he spoke into his spirit these things that it just came across Abraham's mind's eye as God spoke it, or if, as I imagined as a child, God spoke to him like this. Abraham. Abraham. Who is it, right? You know, because that's how God speaks, right? in a whisper, but a loud whisper that shakes the roof, right? So could you imagine this? And I want to just show you the absurdity of what Abraham does in response to God's voice and the audacity he has to believe. So let's just continue the absurdity. Abraham. Yes? This is God. Which one? At this point, monotheism doesn't exist, Everybody know what monotheism is? If you don't ask a neighbor, what's monotheism, right? There, everybody that believes in a God believes in the gods. Here's Abraham up in Haran hearing from God. So which one are you? I imagine God said, I am the God. To which Abraham would have said, I don't know what that means. And God would have said, I am the one true God. This would have been a mind-blowing experience right here. This is the first monotheist, I shouldn't say in history, because Adam and Eve would have known, Noah would have known, first monotheist in generations from everything we know. We know from later on in the book of Genesis that the rest of Abraham's family were that They believed in multiple gods. And here Abraham is having a revelation, not only leave your country and your kindred and take everything you have and move, but he's going to begin to worship a God that nobody knows and worship the one true God. Not only that, but Abraham actually believes that God is speaking to him. I love that scene in A Christmas Carol where Ebenezer Scrooge is standing there talking to Jacob Marley and just says, you must just be an undigested bit of beef because there's no way that you could be talking to me right now. You are an old potato. I can imagine that there could have been a moment right here where Abraham's like, what am I hearing? Why would I believe this? I don't know why I would believe this, except that he has the audacity to believe. Can you see why this guy's the father of the faith? The odds against believing this message or this message or this message is astounding. Yet he does. Not only that, but he's about to receive some promises that are going to have to affect him in a way as to, so as to suspend his disbelief. And that's the second thing we see from the life of Abraham. If you're looking in your Bibles, look down at the promises that God makes to him in verse 2. First, Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name famous. You're going to be a blessing. You're going to be a special possession to me. And finally, through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now, if I was Abraham, I would have stopped believing God at point number one, because Abraham is 75, and his wife is 65, and God has the audacity to tell him, and I'm going to make you a great nation. Now, I don't want to do a biology lesson today, but that's not, the odds against this are high, all right? That he is not going to be able to procreate, that his wife has been barren all these years, and there is absolutely no hope of becoming a great nation. The idea that God would bless him and that he might be a special possession, that's the easy part. And then finally, you get this concept that God's going to bless all the nations of the world through this guy. I mean, not only does God say the absolutely surprising, I'm going to make you a great nation, but then on the tail end, he says the absolutely ridiculous. Everybody on earth is going to be blessed through you. So he goes from absolutely absurd to absolutely absurd. He includes everything in the middle and tells Abraham some things that are absolutely astounding. God gives him one more promise a little later on in the story, and it's around verse 7 or verse 8. He gets down to the land of Canaan, and when he gets to, be, to the place at Shechem, the Lord says, and appears to him this time, "To your offspring, I'm going to give you this land." That's an incredible promise as well. History and archaeology tells us that when you were down in Canaan, just about every hilltop that could have a fortress had a fortress. It was a warlike place where there are many city-states and many places that the only way that they can survive is because of their warlike nature. And this is the place that Abraham moves to. Absolutely crazy. That's why I said Abraham had to suspend his disbelief, because everything God tells him is out there. It's far out there. It's not just a little bit out there. It's far out there. Some of you have some friends who tell you stories that are a little out there, and you're like, eh, that could have happened. Then you have some friends who tell you some stories that are far out there, and you know they didn't have a chance of happening. In this case, God tells Abraham two things that in human terms have absolutely no chance of happening. Zero. Zero. The idea that God might bless him, okay. The idea that God might protect him, okay. Blessing, protection, I can believe those two things. But the idea that I'm going to be a great nation, that I'm going to end up famous and that all the nations of the earth will be blessed through me, those are outrageous claims, God. Why would I get moving? But this is why he's the Father, of the faith and we are not, because the third thing Abraham does is move. Movement. He has to have the audacity to believe what God has said. Then he has to quiet the voices, he has to suspend his disbelief, and then he has to head into action. He packs up, he goes. He doesn't say to God, well, God, you could do all of those things right here in Haran. Couldn't you? If you're God, that voice is pretty loud and pretty scary. If you are God, can't you just bless me here in Haran? Can't you just make me a great nation here in Haran? Can't you just make my name famous here in Haran? There are definitely some people I would like you to curse here in Haran. Can't you do all that right here if you're God? But Abraham doesn't put any stipulations on what God has told him. And I just want to insert this right at this moment. For many people who hear the voice of the Lord, the enemy of obedience is not willful disobedience. The enemy of obedience obedience is stipulations that stifle that obedience. God, you you can work through me just as well here, where I'm sitting, as you can do me moving to the place you told me to go. I used to wear a shirt, and it was very sarcastic. It said, "It said, stay where you are, bloom where you're planted, stay mediocre, see you in heaven." The idea that that we have sometimes as Christians that we just don't want to move, we just want the blessing. We want to put stipulations on God, say, God, if you do all of these things, then I will do what you told me to. Abraham does none of that. He doesn't even pull out some fleeces like Gideon. He just goes. This is the point at which all of us should look at this passage and go, I don't think I could ever get there, and I'm with you. I don't think that I could ever have this level of faith and trust in God. Don't know that I could accomplish that. Don't know if I could ever get to this place. I don't know how Abraham was wired. I don't know how many small group Bible studies he attended before this. I don't know how many missions trips he'd been on. I really don't know how many incredible prayer meetings he'd been to that would prepare him to take this type of step of faith. But here he does anyways. Simply because he had the audacity to believe, he suspended the voices of disbelief. And he moved. I want to make one more mention of something before we move on, and it's this. Turn back in your Bibles, if you will, to verse 8. From there, after the Lord appearing to him and promising him the land, Abraham moved on to a spot between Bethel and Ai. Ai is near modern-day Jerusalem. And there he built an altar to the Lord, and he called upon the name of the Lord. Just want to leave that in your mind 's eye before we talk any further. The idea that it is this is at this point where Abraham has moved hundreds of miles away from everyone he knows and everything that 's comfortable and the life that he 's built that then he goes, "I really need God. we don't know what his level of fidelity to god was before we don't know if he was a man of prayer if he wasn't a man of prayer we don't know that if he was a man who knew the word there was no word by this point but follow me he knew the word or didn't know the word we don't know if he was a man who had exhibited acts of faith before or hadn't exhibited acts of faith before but we know that when he gets into the place where god has him to go he goes i can't do this without you with that hilltop there and that hilltop there and angry Canaanites looking down on me wondering who I am. I need you, I need you, I need you. And at that moment, instead of going back home, it says in verse nine that Abram journeyed on by stages toward the Negev. He doesn't go back north where Haran is. He starts going further south. God, I need you, but I'm not gonna turn back now. How could we ever get there? Can you think back in your life to probably the biggest act of faith that you've ever undertaken, the scariest thing that you've ever done because God told you that's what you needed to do? I mean, I can think of mine. Mine was when I was 18 years old, and I was going to go off to college. And I knew that I had been called to be a pastor. I knew that that's the plan that God had for my life. And many of my friends who had graduated from our youth group had gone down to a school called Southeastern in Florida. Not only were all my friends there, but it was an hour from the beach. It would have been perfect. And I went down there and I visited. And on the way back from wanting to visit there, my mom had scheduled my flights to look at one more college. It was called Lee, which was in southeast Tennessee. And I really didn't want to go because all my friends were at Southeastern. But my mom said, we want you to look at one more school, your dad and I. So I went up to Lee and I went to a worship service there. And while I was in this worship service in Southeast Tennessee where I have absolutely no relatives, no friends, no nobody, and have no idea about this denomination that this school is a part of, all of a sudden, God says, this is the place that you're to come. And I remember thinking, right, right. All my friends are in Florida, close to the beach. This is Southeast Tennessee, close to the mountains. I don't hike. This is not going to be okay. Okay. But I remember God came very strongly that night and impressed upon my heart that that's where I was supposed to go. So I ended up going down there. My parents drove me down the very next fall and a couple of folks from VLC, some who have graduated and come back home here, went to Lee and uh, followed that path. But I remember thinking the night before my parents were set to leave, I know absolutely nobody. I, I am so far from home and I'm absolutely terrified and I'm so scared. And I remember my parents took me out to Cracker Barrel the next morning and they went out to get into the car, their car, to drive home to Ohio and I went out to get in my Chrysler LeBaron, which was an awesome car. Anybody have a Chrysler LeBaron? Thank you, Carl Lee, for keeping my Chrysler LeBaron on the road for as long as we could. Uh, And I looked at my parents and I just tried to rip my mom's heart right out of her chest. I said, I can't believe you guys are leaving me here. I mean, but I cried, I 600 miles from home. Now, I was in one of the safest places on earth with people who loved Jesus all around me, a great school, great professors. I ended up calling some of them family. In fact, Pastor Josh Rice, who will be coming in a few weeks to share with us from Topeke, Mexico, one of the first guys I met down at Lee. But I want to tell you, I did that and took that little, small infantile step of faith in the age of cell phones and automobiles and planes. And in the large scheme of things, how scary was it really? Scary for me for a time, but my family was a phone call, a car ride, or a plane ride away. Abram packs up everything he owns, moves hundreds of miles away, with no lifeline, into a scary and destructive place called Canaan. I was 18. I was responsible for no one but myself. I had money in the bank and gas in the car and nobody to be responsible for. Abraham had people to be responsible for, people that he was to look after, people whose very lives were in his hands, people who, when he said, we're moving, probably went, huh? I don't know, but you're 75. This is the twilight of your life. We're not supposed to be moving right now unless it's to Florida to an assisted living facility. (laughs) Yet they pack up and they go. They pack up and they go. How can we get there? Now, I don't mean to Canaan. I'm not going to Canaan. How can we get to the place that we trust in God's voice and trust in his plan so much that we can accomplish what God has set out for us to accomplish? The first thing is this, and this is going to be a surprise to you. You have to have the audacity to believe. The audacity to believe that God can and he will speak to you. God can. I'm making a statement now. God can and he will speak to you. Not to me for you, but sometimes that might happen. Not to an elder for you, but sometimes that might happen. Certainly, if you're married, God will use your spouse to speak to you. That happens regularly to me. And it's a blessing. I mean it. It's a blessing. 82% of the time. The other 18, I sing, God's still working on me. So anyhow, (laughs) I want to tell you, God can and he will speak to you. He has things that he put you on this earth to accomplish. You're not going to become the father of many nations already been done. You might not become famous, but that's probably all right with you but I want to tell you God has things that he has placed you on this earth to do and he is trying to get through to you and he's asking you to trust that he has a plan and you are a part of it. And I hear Christians all the time speak about what God's doing for them and sometimes I get confused because I know that God can speak about the minutia of life. I know that God can speak to you about things that are inconsequential as well as those things that are consequential. But I want to tell you today, for the life of faith like we're talking about today where God calls and we move, we go, that means that the things that God are speaking to us are of a spiritual nature. They have a plan in mind. I was talking to Pastor Otto about this this week and he looked at me and he said, when, in regards to this sermon, he said, there are people waiting for you, on the other side of your obedience. There are people waiting for you on the other side of following the voice of the Lord. I hear people all the time talk about the voice of their Lord in their life having to do nothing with matters of God's plan. Saying things like, and this is ridiculous, but things like, well, you know, I once invested in a little startup called Google. I heard the voice of the Lord and look at me Now. You're like, what does that have to do with God's eternal plan? Well, the Lord told us to get rid of that dog, and thank God we did, because after we got rid of it, he bit somebody. Okay, but what does that have to do with God's eternal plan? I hear people talk about God and his voice in the minutia of their lives but it's terrifying to talk about God with certainty in the plan that he is enacting in our lives. Because we don't want to sound haughty, we don't want to sound like we're closer to God than everybody else, but maybe most often we don't want to be embarrassed if we don't follow through. We don't want people to look at us and go, here's the things that they were gonna do for God, but then they just quit. I don't get it i thought they told me that god was speaking to them and that they were going to step into that folks we have to have the audacity to believe that god can speak to us about his plan that's what he does for his disciples he speaks to us about where we fit and where we are to go and we have to believe that we actually heard his voice is that you god in the same way abraham said it Except we have 4,000 years of monotheism to go with. We have church community that we can look to to say, I think I heard the voice of the Lord tell me to do this. Does this sound insane? We have friends who have stepped out in faith for God and know what his voice sounds like. We have so much more going for us than Abraham had. Will you believe that God spoke that to you? Will you believe it? Will you have the audacity to believe that a supernatural God spoke into this natural world into your heart and into your spirit? Will you believe it? Because he did, and he has, and he will. Will you suspend your disbelief, overcoming the voice of what if? Could you imagine the what ifs that Abraham had to deal with in this moment? What if the Canaanites swoop down upon us and kill us all? Then you will have failed, God. What if I go down there and I die and all my relatives are just there and all my my wife and my nephew and all my servants, what if? What if we get to the land you're calling me to, God, and there's not enough pasturage for for the animals? What if there isn't? What what are we going to do? We're not going to be able to survive in the land of Canaan. God, what if? What if? What if? What if? And we have to suspend our disbelief for just a moment. Suspend the what ifs and say, God, if you said it, I'm going to go. We have to overcome the voice of the doubters, the people who look in our lives and go, huh? You're going to do what, Abraham? You're moving? Not to Florida? Canaan? Stupid. Some of you have non-believing relatives in your life, and what's holding you back from doing the things God's calling you to do is the guilt and shame that you would feel if you actually did it. They'd say, what? where are you going? Oh, don't, don't talk to people like that. They don't need to hear that. That's embarrassing. Don't talk about religion. Don't do that. You give your money to what? Suspension of, why are you laughing? That must be what your family's like. (laughs) Will you suspend the voice of disbelief? Your own voice, the voice of others, and the voice of the enemy. You know, the first two things that Satan says in scriptures is these things. Did God really say? Did God really say? Did He? Did He? And you know the second thing Satan said in Scripture was God's a liar. God's a liar. We have three voices to compete with when we're trying to suspend disbelief. But we have to in order to do what God's called us to do. God, if you said it, I'm going to move. The third thing, folks, is we have to move. We have to move. We have to stop saying to God, God, I'm staying right where I'm at, and if you want to use me, go ahead. Go ahead and use me for whatever your will is right here, and that's it. I'm not changing any of my habits. I'm not changing any of my locales. Not changing any about who I am. Just use me for your will without me doing anything. Amen. There's always going to be a price. There's always going to be a price for doing God's plan. For doing God's plan. The final thing, and I alluded to it just a few minutes ago and we're nearly done, is newfound reliance. The last thing that Abraham does in this particular story before we move on to another scene in Genesis chapter 12 is this. He stops, and he builds another altar. And he said, Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. I opened today, and I said, you know what? I looked at those people of faith who would share Jesus so openly or who would operate in the Holy Spirit and encourage and uplift people so regularly or would serve in ways that I could never see myself serving, and I would think, they must pray eight hours a day I believe for each one of those people, they followed this pattern. They heard the voice of the Lord. They suspended their disbelief. They moved into action. And when they moved into action, boy, did it get scary. Boy, did it get overwhelming. Boy, did they have some moments where they went, Bethel, I, Canaanites, And there they called upon the name of the Lord. And their newfound reliance on God built something in their spirit, a, an altar, a platform by which they could take the next step of faith. And the next step of faith. And the next step of faith. Folks, you are on the journey already. The good news for most of you is you've already left Haran. But it is time for you to build an altar and call upon the name of the Lord so you know what the next step in your journey is. And you need to say to yourself, if God has spoken, I will believe it, and I will tell all the doubters, myself, others, and the enemy included, to get behind me because God has a plan, and he will work it. And praise the Lord, this part of the plan is going to be worked through me. Thank you, God. It's a big step to join the dynamic life of faith. But I want to tell you, when you've stepped out and joined that dynamic life of faith, you will see God show up in ways that you have never seen before. You will see God work through you in ways that you could not believe or imagine. And you will leave a legacy for your family and leave a legacy for your friends and leave a legacy for your church and leave a legacy for your neighborhood that is greater than you could have ever thought or imagined Because that's what God does. He leaves a legacy behind you. You can have an impact that stretches into eternity if only you'll follow these steps. If only you'll believe that God has spoken. And then you'll call upon the name of the Lord and rely on him. AJ, will you come? I'd like every head bowed and every eye closed in this place. We're just going to take a few minutes to pray together. Father God, we are here this morning in this room because at some point in our life you called. There might even be a few people in here that the first call we ever heard was the one that brought us to church this morning. And I trust that there are others in here who have built many altars to the Lord and said, God, I need you. Lord, wherever we are at on our journey, God, we face the same things. Will we believe what you've said? Will we quiet the voices? Will we move into action? And will we rely on you? Whatever we face, wherever we're at. God, we want to leave a lasting impact for you. We want to fulfill the plan that you had for our lives before we were even a twinkle in our parents' eye. Lord, we ask today that you would help those who are concerned that they don't hear your voice to seek your face. Will they, you would cause those who are overcome by doubt suspend their disbelief and put their full trust in you. We pray for those who are stuck, stuck in the same rut that you'd push them so they'd move. And Lord, we pray for those who maybe have been trying to do what you've called them to do on their own. To rely on you in prayer once more a lot of calls today. Perhaps you want to hear his voice. Perhaps you just need to get over that hump of disbelief. Perhaps you just need to move towards God and the things that he's called you to, or that you just need to pray and put your reliance on him again. But for the next few minutes, this place is going to be a house of prayer, a place to believe in the word of the Lord. And I'm going to invite those who the Lord is speaking to today to join me up at this altar, to move towards him, and to lay before the throne of grace whatever it is that God has laid upon your heart. Would you come today if God's been speaking to you? Would you join me right here in this altar right now? They're already coming. Say, God's been speaking to me today. One of these four things you've spoken, Pastor Matt, I need to rely upon the voice of the Lord. I need to believe in it. I need strength for what he's called me to do. I've been stuck and I haven't been moving for far too long. I invite you to come. I invite you to come. I don't know if I hear the voice of the Lord. I need to hear it. I invite you to come. God loves when you move towards him. What you do in your physical body to come to an altar today is reflected spiritually. It's an outward sign of an inward change, as Pastor Otto said. I just invite you today to come, to believe his voice, to suspend that disbelief, to move towards him, to call upon his name, to call upon his name. These altars are open. You're going to remain in your seat today. I just invite you to pray over these four topics. I just invite you to reread the scripture that we've read today to see if God's speaking to you through it. I invite you to make this a house of prayer, regardless of where you're at in this room. We'll close in a few minutes in song.